Okay, morning. morning. Good to see everybody, and it is good to um, be here worshiping with you today. If I don't know you yet, my name is Rowan. I'm the lead pastor here, and it is a, a pleasure to seek the face of God with you. And so um, we are actually, um, again, not only on the precipice of spring, and yes, I did wear my winter coat again, um, because as a person from Jamaican descent, if it drops below 30, it, it's a game changer, okay? So, you know, I am uh, layered up today. And um, we also want you to know that we'll be celebrating the Sacrament of Communion today. So if you, uh, uh, in between our first and second worship sets, or after I've finished preaching, want to come down here to the right or the left and grab a communion cup, you can participate in that with us today. So um, it is, again, good to be back. And um, it is um, exciting because... We are once again in the Lenten season. We're in the uh, Lenten season where we are moving with vigor um, towards the last week of Christ and celebrating um, his sacrifice for us and his death, burial, and resurrection from the dead for the salvation of our very lives and souls. And so what we've been doing is we've been going through a series called The Good News According to Luke. And that series has been going through the Gospel of Luke, which is the third of the four Gospels. And it was one of the only, it was the only Gospel written by a non-Jewish author, which was a physician named Luke, who was a traveling companion of the Apostle Paul, who wrote the New Testament, not only Gospel of Luke, but also the early history of the church in the book of Acts. And so we've been pressing through that, and today we find ourselves in Luke chapter 22. And it's actually a familiar uh, passage to many of you because um, it's an archetype that's being presented here. Um, and it's actually the interaction that Jesus would have in his last week with two of his main disciples, two of his 12 apostles, uh, primarily uh, Judas, Judas Iscariot, and then also his main man, Peter, right? And what we see is that uh, in the midst of all of the three and a half years that Jesus walked with his disciples, he obviously did so much to establish uh, a reason to believe and a reason to be devoted to him and a reason to follow him with all of our hearts, mind, soul, and strength. And if anybody would have a reason to believe, it would be not just the crowds, but it would also be the 12 apostles, right? The 12 disciples who were walking with Jesus, seeing him, talk, seeing him perform miracles, seeing him drive out demons, seeing him raise people from the dead, ultimately leading to his own crucifixion and resurrection. But what we'll see today is that we as disciples need to learn some lessons that Judas and Peter had to teach us, even as disciples. Because when we look at this last week of Jesus, a lot of times we're familiar with the story and we'll bypass it as just a piece of history, but it has implication for our relationship with God on an everyday basis. Because if you're in here today, I, mean, I see many of you that I know, and many of you are already disciples, following Jesus with all your heart, which is exciting and good. Others of you are seeking, trying to figure out whether this Jesus is worthy of your life. But what we need to learn from either in either instance is this in our focus statement, that we must allow the Holy Spirit to reveal what devotions we hold as of greater worth than Christ, that our betrayals might turn into redemption, that our betrayals might turn into redemption, because 
when we look at the story of even this man Judas and this man Peter who were walking with Jesus, though they had an up-close and personal relationship with him, they still had moments of betrayal that needed to turn into redemption. And so what we see is that we're going to break the message down into three parts today. We're going to talk first about betrayal. Secondly, we're going to talk about sifting, the sifting of our lives. And then finally, we're going to talk about the redemption that God wants to bring us into. Betrayal, sifting, and redemption. So let's pray. Jesus, we thank you. My sister. (laughs) So we thank you so much for your uh, good news to us today. God, we thank you for your word to us that gives us the ability to not only know you, but to love you. And God, we thank you that you've given us your word and a promise that says we can, through Christ Jesus, through the power of your word and the Holy Spirit, serve you without fear. And God, we're asking you that even as we have this promise given to us, that God, we would, in this season of Lent, really be circumspect and really allow you to teach us and show us the things that weren't just pertinent to the disciples who walked with you in your earthly ministry, but apply to us today that we might not start a good race, but we might run a good race and see it completed. In the name of Jesus, amen. Okay, so let's start by talking about betrayal. The truth is, is that when our desire for earthly gain outweighs our desire for eternal reward, the end result is betraying our first love. When our desire for earthly gain outweighs our desire for eternal reward, the end result is betraying our first love, who should be Jesus. And we see this in Luke chapter 22. It says, Now the feast of unleavened bread drew near, which is called the Passover. And the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to put him, meaning Jesus, to death, for they feared the people. And it says something crazy. It says, Then Satan entered into Judas, called Iscariot, who was the number of the twelve. He went away and conferred with the chief priests and officers how he might betray him to them. And they were glad and agreed to give him money. So he consented and sought an opportunity to betray him and to them in the absence of a crowd. Now, as I already said, what was significant about this uh, particular Judas is that he wasn't just a casual observer of Jesus' ministry, but he was one who walked closely with Jesus. And he was one of Jesus' chosen inner circle. He wasn't even just somebody who wanted, you know I mean, to get near Jesus, but Jesus hand-selected him himself. He went up on a mountain and prayed all night and said, Father, show me the people that I'm going to entrust this kingdom to. You remember this in Mark chapter 3. And then when he came down the mountain, he said, these are going to be my select few, my chosen team, the 12 apostles. And Judas Iscariot, who we see was betraying Jesus in this moment, was one of them. And this should give us all both a sense of pause and a sense of sobriety, because if this turning of the heart could happen to one who walked with Jesus, saw his miracles, and heard his teaching in the flesh, what would make us think that in our times we would be exempt from such failures? Anybody realize that? 
It's like if you walked with Jesus, I mean, sometimes I think to myself, if only I walked with Jesus in the flesh. If only I was walking behind him, carrying the boombox, playing his theme music. <laughs> then I would have been never one of the ones who turned away from him, right? But Judas said, could have said the same. And it said that Satan entered Judas' heart playing on Judas' perceived lack of developed conviction in Christ's unfolding plan of judgment and redemption, emboldening, emboldening the compromise which led, um, made room for his ultimate downfall. And so there was something in Judas that, though he had seen all the miracles of Jesus, though he had seen all him, him driving out all the demons, though he had seen all the great things that Jesus had done, there was something lacking in his convictions that allowed him to say, you know what, these 30 pieces of silver are going to be worth betraying the Son of God. And if that was true for him, how much more so for us who have the Holy Spirit, but again, we rely so often on our senses, so often on what we can see, feel, and touch, that if we are not right up in the face of Jesus, what would be that for us? What type of lacking developed convictions in the coming kingdom of God is there in us that would show that would prevent um, that would cause us to potentially act in the way of Jesus? And my question for you today is: How convinced are you regarding the claims of Jesus? How convinced are you regarding the claims of Jesus that not only is He the Son of God, but that there is a judgment to come. And that the whole world is going to be judged by this one man, Jesus Christ, who God proved to do so by raising him from the dead. It is not enough, what we'll say is it's not enough just to be a cultural Christian. And if you are here today because this is the Easter season, you might call yourself a Christian CEO, right? Christmas, Easter only. That's fine. You know I mean, that's a good start. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's a good start, but that's not ever where you need to stay. You need to be convicted of the claims of Jesus in such a way that it shapes your entire life. And it actually keeps you during times of trial, during times of trouble, during times of testing. Which is ultimately what we'll see in times of sifting. And the encouragement we want to give you is that if you're shaky at any point, it's literally a matter of, point of a point of life and death, that you do your homework and shore up your biblical convictions. This doesn't need to be the only time that you hear the Word of God or reading the Word of God or exposed to it. You need to do your homework outside of this time so that your convictions might run deep, that you might have an anchor for your soul, and come hell or high water, you're sticking with Jesus. And if you need help, we're here to help you. Again, that's why we have things, again, like the aforementioned one-to-one -one and purple book classes and the like, community groups and the like. You need to remember that a person turning away from God never happens all at once. It is the result of daily, seemingly inconsequential decisions without immediate consequence that deceive one into thinking that retribution will never come. That's how people turn away. It's sort of like the beach, right? And the tide coming in and 
sifting things over and over again. How do we know this in Judas' case? Because it says in John chapter 12, verse 6, that he was walking with Jesus, so like during his earthly ministry, but he had some latent sin in his heart. It said in John chapter 12, 6, that as keeper of the money bag, he was continually helping himself to what was in it. Helping himself to what was in it. And so ultimately, when we see his time to betray Jesus and get those 30 pieces of silver, right? It was just a continuation of that which he was already doing, but in the moment seemed unchecked. Timothy Keller, as Sarah already mentioned, said this as well, that Jesus warns people far more often about greed than about sex. Yet almost no one thinks they are guilty of it. Therefore, we should all begin with a working hypothesis that this could easily be a problem for me. And if greed hides itself so deeply, no one should be confident that it is not a problem for them. And it's not just talking about greed, but it's whatever sin that might be inside of us that's waiting inside of us as a ticking time bomb, right? Where the enemy will be like, listen, I'll let you come to church. I'll let you go to community group. I'll let you be around all your Christian friends and all, talk all your Christian jargon all you want. But then there's a ticking time bomb, and at the appropriate time, I'll set it off. I'll set it off if you're not careful. So where's our help? Luke 22, verses 7 through 23, obviously gives us some of the first external helps that God gives us. And you can go back and read that later, but it's in Luke 22, 7 through 23, it's talking about not only the Passover that they were celebrating, but also Jesus instituting the sacrament of communion the sacrament of communion, which we're going to celebrate again today. And they're examples of the importance of celebrating the regular rhythms that God has instituted for worship, which act as means of grace. They act as means of grace by which people actively in search of the Holy Spirit's pruning might not only be refined, but grow as God works powerfully in their lives. Every time we give ourselves to the things that God says are important, that's what we're doing. But you want to notice that biblically, these, as well as other God-ordained remembrances, are meant to be celebrated corporately, not just individually. So this speaks against independent spirituality. This speaks against just personal spirituality that the West likes to maintain today, right? I'm spiritual, but it's all about my, my own personal walk with God, right? Got my personal walk with God. And we always joke with people, it's so personal, God doesn't even know about it, right? <laughs> but the rhythms that God gives were meant to be celebrated corporately. Corporately in the gathering with other believers during moments of worship. In things like, yes, I'll say it, the C word, church. Church is important. I love Dr. Tony Evans. How many people know Dr. Tony Evans? Dr. Tony Evans, great, great preacher. And he said, he said this when people were pushing back on the idea of church. And he said, right, people say, I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. How many people have heard that before? I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. And Dr. Tony Evans says, and they're right. Salvation is through faith alone in Christ alone. You also don't have to go home to be married but stay away long enough and your relationship will be affected. Oh, yes. <laughs> the truth, right? 
So if Judas was participating in all these things, what could have prevented this destructive end? I'm just going to say this um, uh, very briefly. He could have given himself not just to being part of the crew, but having true biblical fellowship, which actually meant a shared life. Bible terminology meaning a shared life. And I'd like to give you three prerequisites for a true biblical fellowship. Number one is openness. Openness. If you're going to have a true shared life with people, you need openness. You don't need to be a closed book as to what is really going on in your life. If you're going to have a shared life with people, you need to seek others out. Don't sit in your seats waiting for somebody to notice you. You walk into the room and say, there you are. I've been looking for you. Openness, right? Number two is honesty. Honesty. Don't present people with your Instagram life. You know what I'm talking about, right? On Instagram, we all put our highlights up. TikTok might get shut down here like soon, but <laughs> at least we'll be on like IG. Don't present people with your IG life. Be honest. And then number three, have a little humility. Be open to the biblical exhortation and consistent accountability. Accountability that will produce real change in your life. Because I tell you, if you move from the place of just being part of the crew to actually living this way as Judas could have, something could have been different. And again, coming together for church, not just a social gathering, has benefits for your spiritual development as you proactively engage with other Christ followers who can look you in the eye. And, and let me say that again, look you in the eye, right? The eyes are the window to the soul. That's why it matters that we show up. People can tell. I'm an old, I mean, pretty much an open book. People know when I'm on a high. People can tell when I'm low, right? It's, it's no mystery here. Why? Because the eyes are the window to the soul. And though I might be able to be like, things are great, brother, online, <laughs> right? <laughs> when somebody looks me in the eye, They'll be able to tell, wait, hold on now, you might be talking a good game, but there's something else going on. Isn't that, isn't that true? That's where the spiritual gift of discernment starts to be active. So that you can be looked in the eye, receive encouragement, and receive and give prayer as you strive towards the goal of mutual sanctification. And here's the other part, kingdom mission it's not just about us, right? It's not just about us and what we receive. It's, a, it's about being on mission for Jesus, going to the world and making disciples together. But in that process, there's going to be sifting. <laughs> there's going to be sifting. And we must understand the nature of our spiritual battle if we are to remain devoted to and fulfill the mission of Christ in our lives. It is where Judas fell short is where Peter was even challenged. Luke 22, verse 24, it says, A dispute also arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. And he, meaning Jesus, said to them, The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors, but not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest, and the leader as one who serves. For who is greater one who reclines at table or one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at table? 
but I'm among you as the one who serves. And so what we see is that Jesus is showing us how we can actually win in this fight, right? Be about somebody and something other than just yourself. Be about somebody and something other than just about building your own personal kingdom, right? That's what we're encouraged to do in this world in which we live. I'm going to gain power. I'm going to gain prestige. I'm going to gain money. I'm going to gain authority. And I'm going to exercise that over people. Jesus says, not so with you. The greatest among you will be a servant to others. It's not just about what you can do for yourself. He says, the Father has assigned to me a kingdom that you may eat and drink at my table and my kingdom and sit in the thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. But then he says this to Simon, who's Peter. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you. <laughs> Jesus is getting ready to go to the cross, and he says, Simon, Simon, I'm about to have my own trial, but listen, Satan demanded to have you. Now, that'd be kind of concerning, right? Jesus is getting ready to go to the cross, and he's like, hey, Peter, just wanted to share with you something. The actual devil... <laughs> Right? Everybody's always talking about the devil made me do it. No, the devil didn't make you do it. It was your own flesh or probably a demon. But there's a difference between demons and the actual devil. There's a real Satan, right? And this Satan desired to have, a, desired to have Peter. So he's like, he's got a target on you. How many people would be encouraged by that? <laughs> no? Okay, me either. Okay, he's like, Satan desires to have you, right? To do what, Jesus what, 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 why me? Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. And now, isn't that good news? Isn't that good news <laughs> that Jesus knows what's coming? And even when this dude, Peter, is a target, even when the spiritual battle is raging, and let me tell you, the more you do for God, the more you step out in faith, the more of a target you will become. Does everybody realize that? Peter was stepping out. God was setting him up. He's like, you're going to be not just one of the 12. You're going to be one of the three, one of my main men, Peter. And the more you step out in faith, let me tell you something. There is a target on you. But know this, that even when Satan has a target on you, I am praying for you. Our great high priest is praying for us. He's saying that, though I know, Peter, that your faith is going to fail you in the moment, ultimately I'm interceding for you. And so when I bring you back, go and strengthen your brothers. And, said, and has anybody ever wanted to live wholeheartedly before God before? Wanted to be like Peter, cutting off people's ears when they come for Jesus, right? That was Peter in his zeal, right? In the betrayal, they came up and Peter's like, oh, I got this. Forget all this, you know, turn the other cheek. Jesus, is, it's time to go down, <laughs> right? And Peter, him cutting off the ear, he reaches up and says, Peter, put that away. Dude, right? Heals the man's ear. And he says, Jesus, though everybody else might leave you, not me, baby. Not me. Anybody ever been there before? And then either in, here, here's when the enemy comes most. Either in your fatigue and discouragement, or when you're doing well. You find yourself living on a high or just discouraged, right? That's when the enemy will try to strike. When you're just sort of fighting the battle day by day, you're all right. 
right? You're winning. You're more than a conqueror through Christ Jesus who loves you, right? But it's either when you're discouraged and tired or when you're on a high thinking nothing could go wrong, that's when he got you. Coming for you. And Peter, Jesus is saying here, he desires to sift you like wheat, to see what's going on on the inside. And my question is, what's going on on the inside? Right here and right now, that can be a ticking time bomb if left unchecked. Because he desires to sift you like wheat. Jesus said he's praying for you. Jesus is interceding for you. But it doesn't mean the sifting won't come. And we'll either end up like Judas or Peter when the sifting comes. Truth be told, the root of the spiritual battle that we face is usually the preservation of self in some way, otherwise known as selfish ambition, according to Galatians 5, or selfishness in common vernacular. And the truth is, if self is the focus, you will always find yourself falling. That is the truth. If you are always just looking at yourself navel-gazing, you will fall. But if you are looking to Jesus, he said, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of your faith, right? Then you'll overcome. Jesus obviously said that service to others is always a pathway to greatness in the kingdom. And the disciples missed this and thought their glory would be found in the things of this world that the world enjoys rather than what God esteems. And we've already rightly bemoaned Judas, but now we see Satan turns to Peter and Jesus' band of merry men to continue an attempt to bring destruction to all that Jesus had built over the last three and a half years. Good pastor named Chip Ingram actually said this. Anybody know Chip? Good pastor. <laughs> Chip. Okay. He said, unfortunately, unfortunately, most Christians do not understand the battle they are fighting the enemy that they face or the means God has provided to overcome the temptations and the deceptions of this present world system. That's what we're needing to overcome, the challenges of our present world system, that which the world esteems versus what God esteems and what are you going to pursue? What are you going to give yourself to? And Peter, in the sifting, needed to learn the limits of self-reliance and the utter dependence that he would need to have on being filled with the person and power of the Holy Spirit. The good news is that God knows our failures, past, present, and future, yet still chooses to redeem us through his substitutionary work on the cross. Because what we know is that, just like Jesus said, Peter would fail. How would he fail? Let's read it again. He said, and he came out and went, as was his custom, Jesus to the Mount of Olives. And the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, pray. Pray that you might not enter into temptation. Anybody pray that in your regular life? Or do you just assume that you'll be, <laughs> or do you just assume that you're good? 
if the Son of God is telling you to pray that you might not fall into temptation, how many people believe that it's a good idea to actually do that? Why is he saying that? Because we are susceptible to temptation. He said, pray that you might not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if, I love this, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Now, what was Jesus talking about there? He's talking about the cross that he was eventually to go to. Now, is this encouraging for anyone that Jesus himself, the Son of God himself, said, God, if you have any other way, I don't want to go to the cross. Isn't that good news? Would you have said anything differently? I know I wouldn't have. <laughs> Jesus, if there is any other way, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. Isn't that good news too? I love all these, I love all these details, right? As Jesus is in the midst of the battle, not only is Jesus our great high priest interceding for believers, but Jesus himself gets some help. You see that in the spiritual battle? Even in the spiritual battle, Jesus himself is getting anxious in his soul. I'm getting ready to go to the cross. So much so that what does it say about him? He's getting help, but in being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Capillaries were busting. You see that? Jesus was in anguish, saying, my goodness, it's going to cost me something to live for and obey the Father. And how many people have a sense of that in your own spiritual life? That it's going to cost you something to walk with and obey the Father. If you don't, my question is, who are you following? And what is it you think you're actually called to? Because anything that God himself has actually called you to will come with a cross. Anything that the Lord Jesus Christ has called his people to will come with a cross. And if you aren't in a place where you're like, I need to be strengthened, not by my own flesh, but by the Holy Spirit, the angels of heaven, coming and strengthening my inner man or your inner woman, then what is it that you're pursuing? If you can do it on your own without the help of God, I would submit to you that you're on the wrong path. Because what God has called you to do, you can only do with God's help. But Jesus kept saying, hey, if there's any other way, take it from me. But not my will, but your will be done, right? Three times. And that's encouragement to me, right? Anybody get an answer from God before and then went right back to him saying, you sure? <laughs> okay. That's encouragement to me. Jesus said that. He's like, Father, I'm going to ask you one more time. But not my will, but your will be done. What has he called you to in your life that you have to say the same? Father, I'm, I'm asking for a different way, but I see you're not changing your mind. You are the God who does not change his mind. So not my will, but your will be done. 
And he rose from prayer and he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. <laughs> Been there. <laughs> Done that. Anybody ever have God like literally wake them up to pray? You felt the little nudging or a little, just a little tickle in the nose. <laughs> What's that? Oh, I should pray. <laughs> no, I'm but, but here's the thing. And then you went right back to sleep. Anybody? Yeah, I've been there. Sorry. He says, while he was still speaking, there came, there came a crowd, and the man called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He drew near to Jesus to kiss him, but Jesus said to him, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? And when those who were around him saw what would follow, they said, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? Right, Peter? Jump into it. Coming on down, he says, have you come against a robber with swords and clubs? When I was with you day after day in the temple, you didn't lay hands on me, but this is your hour. This is your hour. For a short time in the power of darkness. And I'd just like to say again, have no doubt about it. The battle is over your relationship with God and your call. Not just your personal relationship with God, but your call in God. By which you will or will not advance his kingdom and glorify Christ with your life. It was a battle for Jesus in Gethsemane. You see that? It's a battle for his ultimate call. He was called to go to the cross. If Jesus didn't go to the cross, we would all be doomed. If Jesus didn't die and if he wasn't buried and wasn't resurrected from the dead to fulfill the scripture, we would all be lost in our sin. It was a battle over his call. It would be a battle for Peter as he stood warming himself before the fire, determining whether he would live in his own comforts or identify with the name, purpose, and sufferings of Jesus. You hear that? When Peter denied Jesus as Jesus said he would, it was because he was tempted to do those things. We just celebrated the Oscar um, last weekend. I have no idea what that movie was about that won. Don't worry about it. But like, <laughs> but here's the thing. Anybody, anybody remember, if you're a little bit older, you remember a movie uh, called The Manchurian Candidate? Yeah. Okay. So The Manchurian Candidate was first uh, an adaptation with Frank Sinatra, then later with Denzel. Um, but if you're, you're too young for The Manchurian Candidate, you might... Remember uh, Winter Soldier? Okay, same, same idea. <laughs> okay, Winter, what, what I mean, Marvel's Winter Soldier? Okay, right, so it was sort of like when he started to speak those terms, Dobre, Jensen, or whatever, like there's a, <laughs> reading out of the book, then all of a sudden it triggered him, right? And what was inside, what he had been programmed to do, Winter Soldier, it triggered him, and then he went on his killing spree, right? The question is, what's the programming or ticking time bomb with you that needs to be diffused that you might not detonate your walk with and call in God? Jesus overcame his struggles with not my will, but your will be done. You need to do the same. Last scripture. It says, then they seized him and led him away. Verse 54. Bringing him into the high priest's house is Jesus. And Peter was following at a distance. And when they had kindled a fire, when they had kindled a fire, you see, this is about redemption now. 
when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. So Jesus is in the middle of his trial, getting ready to, he's already been betrayed, is about to be crucified. And Peter's like, listen, I have a devotion to Jesus, but here I am at a distance, right? I mean, it's tempting to do, especially when there are all types of bad examples and caricatures in our culture of what it means to be Christian, right? You, you want to be devoted to be Jesus, but at a distance, right? Oh, I'm not like them. Oh, no, 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 I'm not like those people, right? Now, am I saying that everyone who calls themselves a Christian is actually living like a Christian? Absolutely not. Am I saying that there have been some black eyes on the name of Christ because of people who call on the name of Jesus? Absolutely. Absolutely. But what we're talking about is identification with Jesus, not, not the culture of Christianity. And what we see here is that Peter is standing by the fire at a distance, warming himself while Jesus is being grilled. Peter sat down among them. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, This man was with him. But he, meaning Peter, denied it. Same Peter who said, I'll never do it. I'll never deny you, Jesus. All of a sudden, push comes to shove. Jesus starts being grilled. And this servant girl, who in that period of time was part of the lowest strata of society, so not somebody who was particularly threatening on the surface, but still there was something in his heart that was like, wait, hold on now. This is against my comforts. This is against my idea of what's good and right, I, how I want to be known in this moment. The servant girl said, wait, 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 aren't you with him? But he, meaning Peter, denied it, saying, woman, I don't know him. Anybody ever been there before? having those conversations in the workplace amongst family or friendship groups, right? Well, you know, those Christians, and then instead of actually saying something otherwise to speak on behalf of the name of Jesus, what is true and right and good, you know I mean, you just go silent, radio silent. Hey, I'm not with them. <laughs> I don't know. He denied it, saying, woman, I don't know him. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, you also are one of them. But Peter said, man, I'm not. And after an interval of about, of about an hour, so Peter had some time to think about it. Peter had some time to think about his mistake. About an interval of an hour, it said, another insisted saying, certainly this man also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately, while he was speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Can you imagine that? Oh, gosh. My goodness. It'd be, it's, it's like one thing when we don't think, you know I mean, that the Lord's eyes are on us, right? Sometimes we choose to selectively forget that the Lord sees everything. Right? And so it's almost like when we choose to selectively forget that he sees everything, we can dabble in a little what we call pet sin. 
But then all of a sudden, he turns and his eyes are fixed on you. And anybody ever in the presence of God like felt an overwhelming sense that, wait a minute, God's eye is on me now. Anybody? And you felt the conviction of the Holy Spirit who comes to convict of sin, righteousness, and judgment to come. And it's like, oh my gosh. And Peter wept bitterly. Because he's like, oh my gosh, what have I done? What have I done? And if Peter can do it, here's the point, so can we. But here's the good news. There's a redemption coming. There is a redemption coming. And what we see is that where Peter failed to carry his cross, Jesus Christ carried it for him. Where Jesus, where Peter failed to confess before that crowd warming himself in his comforts by the fire, Jesus made his good confession before Pilate. And what we see is that ultimately... Jesus died for our shortcomings, died for Peter's shortcomings, died for our sins, and then was resurrected from the dead to give us new life, but not just new life, but pour out the Holy Spirit that would empower Peter and change him into a different man. And on the day of Pentecost, through the baptism of the Holy Spirit, he was changed into a different man, and one who denied Jesus three times, just like Jesus said he would, became a bold man, proclaiming the kingdom to thousands. Saying, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, who you crucified, both Lord and Christ. It said that they were cut to the heart and they said, what am I supposed to do? He said, each and every one of you, just like me, repent, turn away, change your mind and go in a different direction. He says, repent, every one of you, and be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. It says because of the power of the Holy Spirit, those same people turned to God, were baptized that day, and about 3,000 were added to their number. Why? Because that same man who denied Jesus was empowered by the Spirit, and he was able to be redeemed, and his life was turned around even when in his selfishness, even when his desire for comfort, he sold Jesus out, betrayed him, just like Jesus, uh, Judas did. Jesus brought him back brought him back and said, do you love me, Peter? You've gone back fishing. Do you love me more than these? Three times he asked him. He said, Lord, you know I I don't love you like I need to. And Jesus asked him again. He said, do you love me? But each time that Peter responded, Jesus said, then do this. Take care of my sheep. Feed my lambs. Take care of them. Right? Do something other than being about you. Get back in the game. Be about the kingdom. Be a servant of the Lord, not just someone who gives him lip service, and he will forever not only change you, but empower you to live for him. If that was what Judas and Peter had to go through, let us never think that we won't have to sort through the same. Amen? Okay, we're done. Let's pray. Oh, my God. God Almighty, we ask you that you would give us an unshakable faith.
God, we ask you that you would give us a love that actually is reflective of the love that you have for us. Lord Jesus, you gave it all that we might not only know you, but come to you and serve you, not just in the moment, but for all of our days. And Jesus, we're asking you that whatever that ticking time bomb is inside of us that would, like Judas, be set off and cause a betrayal, God, we're asking that you would expose it now and you'd be like like one of those good SWAT team members coming in and diffusing that which could have otherwise been destructive. God, we're praying that we'd be open, humble, and honest about it. And that, God, we wouldn't try to handle anything on our own, but we'd not only come to you, but we'd come to the community of believers where we could walk it out together. Whether it be lust, whether it be adultery, whether it be some sort of addiction. Father, whether it be some sort of unforgiveness, whether it be bitterness in our souls towards family members, friends, or others who've offended and harmed us. God, whether it be even self-harm in here today, God, we're asking you that you would diffuse those bombs and set us free. Help our eyes to once again be fixed on Jesus the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and rightfully took his seat at the right hand of the Father. God, I'm asking that you would help every one of us today, that no one would think themselves exempt, but you would give us an enduring faith. In Jesus' name. And I want to just keep your eyes focused on God, please. If anyone in here says, you know what? I already know that the time bomb, the ticking time bomb that's in me. But I need prayer and I need help. If that's you, would you raise your hand? I want to, I want to, um, okay, good. Anyone else? I'm just going to ask you because we have men and women who are going to be praying with you today. After the service, that banner right there, we're here to pray with you. I'm going to ask you, if you're raising your hand right now, to go over and stand with some of your brothers and sisters who you can be open with, honest with, and humble with. And God will meet you there and he'll help you. And if there's anybody else who says, you know what, I've never actually given my life to Jesus. I've never submitted to him as Lord of my life, and I've been living in sin. And you know, truth be told, I wouldn't have the redemptive story of Peter. I'd have the more of the story of Judas. Destruction based on my rebellion and betrayal to God. And if you know that that's you today needing to turn from your sin, putting your trust and faith in Jesus wholeheartedly, I'm going to ask you to go over to that same banner and do the same. So, Father, we ask you to do a not just a temporary work, but a permanent, lasting work in every heart and mind both here in service and online. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's stand again.